when I was in, in college, I had a, this is long before the Duck Dynasty big nasty beard thing started. I'm going to grow me one of those big nasty beard things one day and just see what Holly, no, Holly shakes her head. No, I'm not. Apparently, apparently I'm not going to grow one of those big nasty beards. That's been overruled. Um, but I had a buddy of mine that, man, he had, like, he had one of those beards that birds could nest in. Like, it was frankly scary. I mean, he just had this, this beard that was kind of terrifying. It was so big. And this is back in the nineties when people didn't do that. It was just, but he was so proud of his beard. And I used to always, I used to always mess with him. I mean, I, I'd go up to him and I'd start rubbing his beard and messing with him and just kind of give him a hard time about it. So I, I love to annoy my friend with his beard. It was just one of those beards that just kind of, you were just drawn to it. So one day I see my buddy coming out of the cafeteria there, in, there at Mississippi college. And I see him walking out of the cafeteria, like, I'm going to go get him. So I walk up to my buddy, and I start, I start rubbing on his beard and pulling on it and messing with it. And I looked at him, and I realized, you know what? That's not my friend. That's a complete stranger who just happened to have a beard very similar to my friend. So I did the only thing I could do at that point. I looked at him and said, I am so sorry. And I just walked away. Because at that point, there is nothing you can do. Sometimes you make such a fool of yourself, the only thing you can do is apologize and leave. In life, sometimes we miss things. Sometimes we mistake things. Sometimes things aren't exactly what they thought they would be. Sometimes things aren't where we thought they would be. You know, the old expression, when you're looking for your keys in the morning and you look past them 15 times and you finally found them where you left them. And the old expression my mama used to say, if that was a snake, it'd bit you. You know, sometimes in life, we just we just miss things. We just, we just miss things. We misplace things. We get confused about things. We don't understand things. It's okay. It's part of being human. It happens to everyone. But we, all, we always in our life, there's just certain things that we sometimes, on occasion, we miss. Like, for instance, God. What do you mean we, we miss God? God's not missing. No, of course he's not missing. He's here in our midst. He's everywhere we go. The earth, the, as the psalmist says, and I appreciate Jennifer's conversation this morning about how, the, the, you know, this space here, this sanctuary, this sanctuary is not holy. I mean, it's been dedicated and it's, it, 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 it's been, it's been um, consecrated. But what makes this building holy aren't the, any of the accoutrements aren't any of the stuff within it. But it's the fact that me and you, it's the fact that the children of God come with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. And we come to this space, this space dedicated for the sole purpose of worshiping God. What makes this space holy is the fact that a holy God is worshiped here. Because we know the Bible says that the earth The heavens are his thrones, and the earth are his footstool. And wherever we go as believers, God is there because he is in us. We take God with us wherever we go. So yes, this place is holy. This place is incredibly holy and incredibly sacred. But so is your work. And so is your play. 
And so is your family time. And so as as every part of your life, because in there, wherever you go, you take the light of Christ with you. We are not just an inward-focused people, y'all. We're outward-focused. I heard it put like this. The church is the only organization that exists for those that are not yet members. The church has always been one generation away from death. Because if no one gets saved, the church ceases to exist. We have a mission to go out and take Christ's light to the world and then bring all the world into this place, this holy space where Christ is worshiped and glorified. So, so then, how do we miss God? It, it, it's funny. Um, you ever, this whole little scene we saw play out in the Gospels where um, they're walking and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. That's, that'd be kind of an awkward conversation to have when Jesus, you, you ever had your children or when you were kids, you, you, you're talking about something you want your parents to, to know about? What are y'all talking about back there? Nothing. You know, that's kind of what, that's, that's almost what I see happening here. What are you guys talking about on the road? Nothing. What's Jesus? He knows. Like you aren't going to, just like your mama always knew what you're talking about. So does Jesus. And um, they were arguing about who was the greatest. Why would they argue about that? Why would they be arguing about who is the greatest? Well, this is why. They, they, they kind of, at this point, they kind of missed the point. Because notice it says earlier in the gospel, he's, he taught them that he must be killed to, to atone and pay for our sins, then must be raised again to, to, to secure our salvation. And they didn't get it. They didn't understand all this stuff. They didn't understand it because the Spirit had not yet come, and they didn't quite get it. So on the way, they aren't talking about or thinking about Jesus' sacrifice. They're thinking about this. Hey, who's going to get the good seats? And one of the Gospels says they're talking about who will sit on his right hand and who will sit on his left hand. They're, they're, they're arguing about, well, who's the best? Who's the most powerful? Who, who's the greatest? Who's going to be in charge? And if you'd watched Jesus' life and his ministry up until then, you'd have seen he wasn't really into all that. But see, what they were expecting Jesus to be wasn't who Jesus was. The Jews had looked for a Messiah from the line of David who would be like David, a great political king. And this Messiah would rise up and he would lead the people to get rid of the hated Romans and would establish this great political kingdom just like David and Solomon had. That's what they were kind of looking for in the Messiah. So that's why they wanted to know who was going to be the greatest. When Jesus becomes king, well, he needs a chief of staff, doesn't he? He needs somebody to do this type of stuff. So when he becomes king, notice how many times the gospel, it says they wanted to make him king. They were looking for a political king to rise up and drive out the Romans. So what is it 
do to them when Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world? Y'all, what do we do when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations? What do we do when we're sure this is going to happen? When we're sure this is what we want? When we're sure this is what we need? And what do we do? What do we do when Jesus' plans are different from our plans? Because, like, I've got some good plans. Like, my plans are phenomenal. They don't work half the time, but they're pretty good on paper. What do we do? When Jesus has a different plan than we do. That might be the scariest thing, huh? We have to hold on to Jesus, having no clue what he's up to. Like, I I like faith when it makes sense. When faith makes sense, when faith is rational, when faith is understandable, when the pieces all kind of fit together, I'm good with that. That's awesome. Y'all, it's hard when it doesn't make sense, does it? It's hard. And I think one of the mistakes we've made as Christians sometimes is we pretend like it's not hard. It's very hard. Sometimes you just hold on for dear life. And what you realize after the trial is over is you realize that it wasn't so much you holding on to God as it was God holding on to you. He will never leave nor forsake his children. And nothing, no matter how scary, no matter how frightening, no matter how worrisome, no matter how bad, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what his word says. And we can count on that. So they almost missed God this morning because they were looked in the wrong place. So what Jesus did, notice what Jesus does. Jesus takes a child on his knee and says, you must be like this. And, you know, we live in a very, it's funny, we live in a very child-centric culture, don't we? I know the Stoddards do. The schedule of our children uh, run our life. Holly and I joke sometimes that, okay, I'll see you in a couple days. We've got so many places to go and errands to run and kids to get to places. And that's, that's not, we're not special. That's typical in our culture. I mean, how many of us as parents have, have our, our grandparent taxi service, you know, ready to go at a moment's notice? We live in a very, very child-centric culture, and that's great. Y'all know me. There's nothing I love more than my kids. But in Jesus' day, that wasn't the case. In Jesus' day, children weren't seen into the same lens they're seen today. In Jesus' day, children were just really property. I mean, they were, they were, they were more important than sheep and goats and things like that, but they were property. Go look, go, if, if, you look at the, if you study Job, and if you see the beginning of Job, when Job loses everything, he starts off with his smallest possessions— leading to his most valuable possessions. And what were those most valuable possessions? His children. Now, so they were 
possessions. They were valuable, but they were possessions. Children were not seen with the same adoration and the same into the same lens as we see them in our culture. Children simply didn't matter. Not until they were 13, not until they'd entered into adulthood. Beneath that, they weren't important. So the fact that Jesus takes an unimportant, insignificant, by the way, unnamed, we don't know who this child was. And notice, notice the pronoun it, it, it uses here. This, this verifies that. It says, um, it, uh, 36 says, he took a little child and put it among them, among them taking it into his arms. I don't know if it's a boy, I don't know if it's a girl. They use the pronoun, it. the scripture used the pronoun it. Property. Taking it into his arms. He said, be like this. Be like this child. Don't lose that childlike wonder. Don't lose that childlike joy. Don't lose that childhood zest for life. Don't lose the twinkle in your eye that the child has. Y'all, how many times have we just got beaten down by life? Oh my goodness, y'all, we're alive. Is it hard out there? Yes, it's hard. Are there challenges? Yes, there are. Is there sickness and death and tragedy? Yes, there is. But you're alive, y'all. The potential of this day is unlimited. Through the power of our amazing God, there is literally nothing that God can't do today. But life has a way of beating that out of you, doesn't it? Life has a way of sucking that hope and joy and abundance out of you. Do not lose that childlike passion for life. Somebody was picking at me one time about kids, and they said, Andy, you relate, you relate to kids so well because you're kind of on the same, same wavelength as them. And I said, yeah, that's probably about right. One of my favorite stories about, is by John Wesley when he was commissioning Methodist lay preachers. And he, he instructed his early Methodist preachers to spend so many hours a week with children. And one man said, well, Mr. Wesley, I am not called to spend time with children. And Wesley said, then you, sir, are not called to be a Methodist preacher. I agree with that statement 100%. God has entrusted these children to us. They are our sacred responsibilities. Are they going to make messes? Yeah, so do I. You should go see my office sometimes. It's okay. It's okay. It's our job to love and teach and lead. Welcome these little ones. So we almost miss God. Well, how do we almost miss God? We almost miss him in others. Because we see here in this text, the, children, the disciples did not see children as particularly important. So they almost missed Jesus. They almost missed God's presence in that child. In your life, there may be somebody who you don't see as particularly important, particularly valuable. Maybe that's the person God wants to speak to you through. I'll never forget this. One of my seminary professors said this one day. It's always stuck with me. Who has saved more life in human history? Brain surgeons or garbage men? 
Look across the world. What's the leading cause of death in most of the world? Filth and unsanitary living conditions. You can make an argument, and I think it's a right argument, that, that garbage collectors, sanitation engineers, are the greatest lifesavers in our country because they keep things clean. And without that, who knows what would happen? Yet how highly do we esteem them? Y'all, it's the people we look past sometimes. Maybe that's where God's calling us to be. Maybe that's where God's calling us to see, y'all. One of the things we've got to do in life is learn to pay attention. Learn to be aware. Learn to see God in other people so much. One of the best sermons I ever heard was by a Roman Catholic archbishop. He was talking about doing ministry to the poor. He says, when you encounter someone that is destitute and homeless, you are encountering Jesus in a terrible disguise. Yeah, that's about right. As Jesus says, as you've done to the least of these, so have you done unto me. So, so often we miss God in other people. We miss God in ourselves. We forget that just like if they're made in his image and they're sacred and they're worthwhile, then so are you. And your worth doesn't come from your job. And your worth does not come from your status. And your worth does not come from your activities. Your worth does not come from your connections. Your worth doesn't come from anything other than this. You are a child of God. You are made in his image. Christ Jesus died, resurrected, and was ascended for you. And nothing can take that right there away. You can lose a bunch of stuff. A bunch of stuff can go wrong. A bunch of stuff can happen bad. But you cannot lose the fact that God has marked you as his very own. That Christ Jesus died and rose again for you to know him. Sometimes we miss God in other people. And sometimes we miss him in ourselves. Sometimes all we see is the failures. Sometimes all we see is the inadequacies. Sometimes all we see is the mistakes. Yeah. You're made in his image. You matter. You are sacred. No matter what, don't ever forget that. If you can live your life out of the sacredness of God's blessing on you, then you can literally change the world. Because you can literally change lives. One last place we often miss God is in our service. Um, God has called us to serve. One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible is the first miracle where Jesus turns water into wine. If you go back and look at that, and that's probably a, that's a, a text you'll hear me preach on and reference a good bit. Because I just love, there's one neat part about that story. If you go back and read that in John 2, you'll see that Jesus is turning the water into wine. And when you read the, the story, 
No one knows what he's doing. The hosts don't know, don't know what he's doing. The guests don't know what he's doing. But the only people in that text that have any understanding, and the text mentioned this several times, the only people in that text that have any understanding of what Jesus is doing are the servants. Several times it says, the host did not know, but the servants knew. The guest did not know, but the servants knew. Everyone else did not know, but the servants knew. We miss God in our actions. We don't understand that an act of service might be the holiest thing you ever do in your life. Rich Mullen said this one time. It's always stuck with me. Spiritual things are often things like raking your neighbor's yard. Sometimes we've got to pull our faith out of the ether out of the untouchable, unknowable, spiritual gobbledygook sometimes, into this. Just be nice. Just be kind. Forgive others. Don't respond back out of anger. Don't say what you feel like saying when you're stuck on 463 in traffic. Because I always say if my car had a laser, I would blow up cars sometimes. Thankfully, there's no laser on my car because I've got no patience. Just be nice. When we serve others, that may be the way in our life that we most experience God. God's all around us. He's here in this place. He's here in our midst. He's here in our lives. And we don't want to miss him. Today, may you feel his power in your life. May you feel his power in, in, in your heart. And may you feel his power in your actions. Today, may God be glorified in us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus the Christ. May we live, may we love, may we serve out of his power. Thank you for loving us. Help us to love each other in the same way. We love you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.